Hello there. Hello. I'm Sarah. I'm Casey. And we are Relatively Relatively Dark. So this is late. It will be late when we post it. And we are aware, and we are sorry, but technology sucks sometimes. And we gave you two last week. Yes. Everything happens for a reason, (laughs) and this was the reason. I had everything typed up, and then it lost it, and it was corrupted, and yeah. So, I had to do it all over again, but I did it for you guys. And you, sister. Thank you. Anyways. (laughs) There's something I was going to say at the beginning of this episode, and I knew I would remember. <laughs> did you I did know? not. <laughs> so we're we're just gonna go to the case. Okay. I'm gonna tell you about the soap maker of Correggio. Oh. It's another kind of old timey case. I have a thing for it. It's okay. But we are going to talk about the soap maker of Correggio, aka Leonada Chanchuli. Okay. Leonada Chanchuli. Okay. She was born in 1894. Wow. In Montella, Italy. Italy? Italy. <laughs> Italy. I think you said it a little fast. Probably. In Italy. <laughs> um, some places said her birthday was April 14th and Hope's birthday. Um, some places said the 18th. So she was born in April. Birthday. April. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, born April 1894. Her mother, Amelia, she came from money. Okay. So... When she got to that age where she was looking for a husband, she had all these different options for suitors. But unfortunately, she was leaving a dinner party hosted by one of the suitors when she was the victim of a sexual assault. Okay. And that is when she became pregnant with Leonata. And her parents actually had her attacker and his family over for dinner. Oh, wow. And that's when they decided that the only way to fix this problem was for them to get married. So, okay. she had to marry the man who attacked her. So, they knew who, who it was? Yeah. And everything? They knew it was him. I don't know if she told them that it wasn't consensual, but I feel like they knew it wasn't consensual. But back in those days, regardless of how it happened, you're marrying him. Um, That's so yeah. crazy. So, his family didn't come from money. So, this is one of the reasons why he wasn't in the mix of her suitors. He was abusive. Slapped okay. her around. And when she had Leonada... She just reminded her of everything that she'd lost. She reminded her of the lifestyle that she could have had, the wealth that she could have had. Mm-mm. And Leonata was the only thing in her life that she had any control over. Because like I said, her husband was, you know, a piece yeah. of poop. So she emotionally and possibly physically abused Leonata. But three years into the marriage, Amelia's husband, I didn't write down his name because who cares, uh, he developed a fever, and according to the book I read, quote, fell into a deep sleep. Oh, okay. They didn't have money for a doctor, and Amelia made no effort to nurse him back to health, so it was just a matter of time before he died. Mm-hmm. And at the funeral, Amelia allegedly waited for everyone to leave so she could spit on his grave. Oh, wow. Which, can't say that I blame her. Yeah. After he died, she would leave Leonata to fend for herself when she would go out drinking and dancing and dating around and stuff. And she eventually got remarried, but she never paid really any attention to Leonata anyways, and her husband didn't really want anything to do with her, or her stepdad didn't want anything to do with her. This led her to attempt suicide twice before she turned 14. Oh, wow. Which is really sad. Yeah. 
Um, she attempted suicide by making a new set of her bed sheets, but the knot didn't hold, thankfully. Mm-hmm. But the first time she did this, it crushed her larynx, and she couldn't talk, I think it said, for a week. But apparently, Amelia never even acknowledged it. So, mom of the year. Yeah. So, when Leonata got to marrying age, Amelia lived vicariously through her. She wanted her to marry into money, of course, Mm -hmm. so she could get back to how she was before she got married. Right. And she liked being wined and dined by all the suitors and their families. But in 1917, when she was 23 years old, Leonata married a registry clerk named Raphael Pansardi, and he didn't come from a wealthy family. And it's weird that her last name wasn't Pansardi. Hmm. Because you would think back then, like, they took the husband's name. Yeah. Like, it wasn't like today to where they, you know, sometimes they do, sometimes they don't. Yeah. Hmm. Her last name was Chanchuli. I would keep that name. Chanchuli. <laughs> um, her mother didn't go to the wedding. Okay. Because she, she didn't want her to marry him. And apparently, she, well, allegedly, she cursed them. And Leonata didn't know what the curse was at the time, but she cursed their marriage or whatever. Okay. Once they got married, she'd get super upset over little things like burning the supper and staining the laundry and stuff, basically because of how her mom was. Yeah. And how her dad was toward her mom. So he would probably fly off the handle for stuff like that. No telling. But apparently, uh, Raphael, he didn't mind. He was a good guy. So that's good. Yeah. I don't know if it's technically Raphael or Raphael. I'm assuming Raphael. I'm not sure how they say that. But if I go back and forth, sorry. Um, (laughs) She suffered seizures when she got upset, which was most likely epilepsy, but never diagnosed. Right. But it's possible that she thought these seizures were part of the curse. Hmm. She'd be afraid or scared that she was going to have a seizure, which would cause Um, her to have a seizure. Man. So she eventually goes to a fortune teller because she wants to know what this curse is. Okay. The fortune teller told her that she would live that she would outlive all of her children. She'd oh, have children, wow. but they would all die young. So now she's like, this was my mother's curse. She uh, didn't get pregnant until three years into the marriage. Okay. But the pregnancy led to anxiety, which mm. led to seizures, which unfortunately led to a miscarriage three months into the pregnancy. Man. And that right there made her believe that the curse was real. She's like, well, there it is. Yeah. It's happening. Um, they decided to move in 1920, and they finally settled down in Raphael's hometown of Lauria in 1921, which is about 100 miles away. Okay. In 1922, she carried a baby boy to term and named him Giuseppe. All right. I like that name. Yeah. And she was a helicopter mom, the epitome of a helicopter mom. She was always yeah. worried, which, of course, she thought he yeah. was going to die, like, any day. Um, she did, however, have other children that seemed healthy at first. Man. But then they would develop a cough or a rash, and sadly, they wouldn't make it. Oh, my goodness. And she would have other miscarriages. I don't know exactly, like, the dates of when all of her children were and all of her pregnancies were, but she had 17 pregnancies. Oh, my goodness. Throughout the whole course of the story I'm going to tell you. And out of those 17 pregnancies, she had four children at the end of it. Oh, my goodness. Two boys and two girls. So, she'd still be grieving one kid when another kid would pass away. That is Just this never-ending cycle. And none of the ones that passed away made it to the age of three years old. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. Really, really sad. Um That's awful. So, eventually, she wouldn't even let Giuseppe play outside. Oh, gosh. Because, I mean, who knows what would happen to him. And I can't say that I blame her at all. Yeah, I mean, it's drastic, but can't say what you would do 
unless you're in that situation. Mm-hmm. And that it's not like she's abusing him or sheltering him to the point of abuse. Yeah. Yeah, that's sad. So with their money situation, she needed to find a job, but she didn't want to leave the kids. She was worried about them, but she did uh, get a job as a cleaner for the town bank. Okay. Um, they didn't have the best cleaning supplies, so she'd make her own little concoctions. Hmm. And she enjoyed doing it, and they were actually good. Cool. So she'll use that talent later on. Okay. Uh, she came home from work one day, and that's when she found out that she had lost her 10th child. Oh, my gosh. At that time, she's like, we need more money. We need more money to be able to call the doctor sooner, like mm-hmm. as soon as they start getting sick. We need to have money so we can move out of town, away from all the diseases that are in town. But she knew that she would never make enough to do any of that while working at the bank. Yeah. So she made a fake account and forged the ledgers. Okay. Which didn't go unnoticed. And when she came in to withdraw the money, she was arrested. Man. She was sentenced to serve 18 months at a church reformatory. Wow. Because at that time, they didn't have a women's prison. Okay. And it wasn't the best treatment in that reformatory. Reformatory. Mm -hmm. And when she got out, nobody wanted anything to do with her or Raphael. Wow. So they thought it'd be best if they moved. Yeah. And this time they moved to Lachedonia. Okay. Lachedonia. She became pregnant again at this time. And she went to see another fortune teller. Because she's worried about the curse. Worried about the baby. Right. She said in one hand she saw prison. Okay. And in the other hand she saw a mental asylum. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. So she wasn't really sure what to think of that. Uh, but she did have her baby. But she didn't pay it any more attention than was necessary. She was all about Giuseppe. Because she thought that that one was going to die anyway. I think that was part of it. Mm. I think it was just Giuseppe was the firstborn. He was her favorite kid. Hands down her favorite kid. Man. This was when she started reading and learning about fortune telling so she could do it herself. One night during the summer, they were camping out in the fields with the traveling Romani, Hmm. which is, from what I understand, like a group of fortune tellers and people that had a more like ethnic lifestyle, more Hmm. free lifestyle. This is how Leonata got a lot of her information about fortune telling and stuff. Okay. And this night, it was basically like a festival. They had music dancing had a bonfire cool the works which sounds super fun yeah but i would not want to be at this one. Oh gosh <laughs> because after they had all settled down to go to sleep they were woken up by the earth shaking okay and this was the 1930 arpenia earthquake okay which destroyed the town including their home mm. and she thought that it was her fault because of the curse she gotcha. thought this curse is following me now it's done this man So, when most people left the fields to go check on their homes or help people, sorry if you hear a dog, she stayed because she was supposedly frozen in fear. Man. So, her and her family stayed there while everybody else left to go to the town and help, which meant that they weren't in town for the aftershocks that killed even more people. Oh, my goodness. More than 1,400 people died in that earthquake. Oh, my goodness. So even though she thought it was her fault, she probably actually saved her whole family's lives by not going back to town. After this is when the family moved to Correggio. Okay. They get there. They get lots of charity, gifts from people, everybody helping them out. And things were starting to look up. So Leonata decided that this is when she needed to do better, to be better, to have a better outlook. Mm -hmm. So she thanked everybody who helped her and she actually started making friends. Okay. And she ended up opening a soap shop 
Okay. There was an abandoned uh, shop connected to their house. So she opened that up and started making soap because she had that background in cleaning and mixing all those things together. So she used that talent. Gotcha. Um, Her soaps were very popular. Everyone in town liked them. And eventually people from all over Italy were coming for her soaps. She had made it. Yeah. You know, women from town would come to the shop for tea and cakes, Hmm. which I looked it up because I was like, is that like a specific thing or is that just like cakes that they have with tea? And that's basically what it is. Okay. It's like an Italian dessert type thing. Um, Eventually, people started coming to her for her fortune telling. Mm -hmm. Farmers would come to ask what crops they needed to grow. Women would come to ask, you know, all of these suitors, which one do I pick? And other stuff, but yeah. Uh, When they started coming true all of her fortunes, she became even more popular. Wow. So she's moving on up there. And the traveling Romani, they would give her books on the occult, on witchcraft. They'd give her tarot cards, Mm -hmm. stuff like that. So she started spending even more time learning as much as she can to try and lift this curse that her mother supposedly put on her. Right. Pretty soon, she was labeled the town fixer. Hmm. Uh, sometimes she would use her skills as a fortune teller to like ease the worries of a pregnant mom. Mm-hmm. Uh, sometimes she would use herbs to cure a man who couldn't perform. Okay. <laughs> Things like that. Um, in 1939, when they had been in Correggio for almost 10 years, World War II started. Right. Well, her precious Giuseppe signed up for the war. Oh, no. Of course, he knew that she'd be terrified if he right. went to war. And she found out while she was out and about in town and people stopped to congratulate her on her son being a hero. So that's how she found out. No. So she basically immediately starts looking for some kind of spell that's going to protect him. After reading every book that she could get her hands on about it, they had one thing in common when it came to warding off death. That thing was equivalent exchange, which means she needed to give something that had the same value of whatever she was trying to protect. So she had to sacrifice a life, I'm guessing. Yeah. Yeah? You just took my thunder. Sorry, go ahead. Human sacrifice. (laughs) She wanted to make sure that it was as painless as possible for the victim, the sacrifice. And she knew that she couldn't get caught because if she got caught, it would be for nothing. Right. Giuseppe wouldn't be protected and then he'd be dead. What are you going to do? Right. (laughs) So she had to figure out how to do it. And she had a thought. She's like, well, these herbs that I use can be used to poison someone. And she knew that she needed full control, so she had to do it at her house. So she takes the next few days, she studies up on exactly what to do, how to do it, blah, blah, blah. And she decides that the protection had to be all over him and inside him. She was going to use soap to protect the outside and food to protect the inside. So now she's got to find who is she going to sacrifice? Murder, basically. Who is Uh, she going to murder? Yeah. Well, she had, you know, all these women coming to her for matchmaking and this and that, which in her eyes meant that they were lonely, they were vulnerable, Mm. and they wouldn't be missed. Man. Because, I mean, you know, back then, you needed a husband. Yeah. Uh, Spinsters were made fun of. They were scoffed at, laughed at, whatever. And one such spinster was 73-year-old Faustina Seti. What's a spinster? Like a woman of of a certain age that was never married. That's never married. Okay. Sorry, I didn't. No, that's okay. I just, I've heard it, but I never really knew what it was. Yeah. Now I do. (laughs) That is a spinster. Okay. Um, So Faustina Settee, she'd been going to Leonardo for over a year looking for romance. 
Okay. She wanted her to fix her up with somebody because back then you're nobody till somebody loves you. That's an old song. <laughs> um, so Leonana decided that she never got married because she was meant for a higher purpose. Okay. She was meant to be sacrificed to yeah. protect Giuseppe. So the next time she came to see her, surprise, she had found her husband. Oh, yeah. So she told her that she'd been writing letters back and forth with her suitor, that he thought Faustina was beautiful, and the arrangements were already in the works. Oh, man. Why would she do that, though? You know, like, that's just getting her hopes up for nothing. Yeah, well, she doesn't really care. Apparently So not. Faustina gave her her life savings to work out the details. Gosh, and you're going to take all of her money, too? Oh, that ain't nothing compared to... Oh, goodness. Anyways, um, <laughs> so, but Leonardo warned her that her friends and family, they wouldn't approve probably because it was so sudden. So she convinces her to write letters detailing her journey, that she's happy, that she's safe and all that. And then Leonardo would send them, you know, periodically throughout the next few weeks. Wow. Well, Faustina's like, why can't I just send real letters like in real time? Why do I have to do them before I leave? Yeah. And so Leonardo tells her, you know, well, the mail system is sloppy. I don't want your family and your loved ones to worry about you if they don't get your letters and they don't hear from you. Wow. And she also used her psychic abilities to tell her, you know, I've already seen the future and Mm -hmm. everything is fine. You're going to live a happy life, so go ahead and write it in these letters. Um, Wow. She convinced her. She sold her home. She dyed her hair. She got her hair did. She arrived at dawn one day, packed and ready to go. And she's super excited, but she's also really nervous. So, Leonata offers her a glass of wine to calm her nerves, which was poisoned. So... Poor girl. 73 years old. 73. Um, That's awful. So, when she started getting woozy, Leonata went and got her axe. Well, she couldn't look when she first swung, and she missed her target, which was her head, and she hit her shoulder. But then, she got her head, and she kept swinging again and again oh and again. Oh, my gosh. And apparently, her body ended up in four pieces on the floor. She hung up the body parts by herb hooks that she had to drain the blood oh into basins. Oh, my gosh. And she put the blood in trays and put them in the oven to dry them out. But she didn't get much blood because most of it was on the floor. But she couldn't use that blood because it was contaminated. Okay. It wouldn't work for the spell for protection because it was contaminated. She put the body parts in pots with caustic soda okay. to break them down, which she used to make soap. She used the same thing. And she used everything. Hair and bones included. After she did all that, it was just a normal day of cooking and making soap for her. When the blood got good and dry, she added it to a mixture of flour, sugar, and eggs to make tea cakes. And she added in a little vanilla for flavor. But when she went to check the pots, it was mush and couldn't be used to make soap. So she did this all for nothing and she poured it down a septic pit. Okay. Faustina was poured down a septic pit. One of the books I read for this, which is a Ryan Green book, it said, quote, she didn't weep for Faustina. She wept for her son. Her failure would kill him, which was Mm -hmm. her thinking at the time. She's like, well, I screwed it up. He's going to die now because I can't give him the spell for protection. Yeah. So I thought whenever you were originally talking about something for the inside and something for the outside, I thought you were talking about killing the sacrifice that way. <laughs> oh, like taking something from their inside and something from their outside? You know, outside? like, say, giving them food that was poisoned for the inside of them and then giving them soap to wash themselves with that was spilled. Like, the does that make sense? Oh. Like, the, the food and the soap was spilled and it wasn't going to end up killing them. Oh, no. Yeah. She's going to turn her victim victims into the food and soap for Giuseppe to use and yeah. eat. Oh. 
That's worse. Um, yeah, so weeks passed, and she acted all surprised about Faustina's departure, but her letters worked, and no one suspected anything. Uh, family and customers ate the tea cakes Ugh. with blood in the batter, and she decided that it didn't work this time because it wasn't a fair trade. Faustina didn't compare it to her precious Giuseppe. Okay. So now it's August 1940 in our story. Okay. And the military recruiter, recruiter would be there in three months to get Giuseppe to take him to the war. Okay. So she's running out of time. She finds her next victim, 55-year-old Francesca Suave. I'm sorry if I'm butchering these names. I wrote mm-hmm. out phonetics to try and do it right. Um, Francesca was a former school teacher, and her husband had suffered a stroke, so she retired to take care of him until he passed away. Okay. She had no children. So okay. no children, no husbands meant that there wasn't anybody to miss her. So when her husband died, that led to money problems, and Leonata agreed to help her find a job. Okay. And she just so happened to have connections with some people at a private girls' school up towards Switzerland. Oh, I bet she does. They were children of ambassadors, of royalty, very high class. Oh, I'm sure they were. And because they were so high class and high profile, they couldn't advertise for casual interviews that's why they use like different connections to fill their job openings, positions, whatever. So this was real. She wasn't just feeding her a story. Well, it made sense, right? But no, it's not real. Oh, okay. I was like, she did the same. Am I wrong? Thing. No, this was her. <laughs> this was her guys. Yeah. Um, she did the same thing with the letters. Had mm. her write them early, all that. And on September fifth, nineteen forty, Francesca got there, all packed up. My goodness. She gave her the poisoned wine. She took her money and got the axe. But this time, she was calmer and she planned better. She put basins on the floor to catch as much of the blood as possible because she didn't want it to be contaminated. Mm -hmm. And she didn't miss with her first swing this time and dropped the axe down on her head. She dismembered her body, which made it easier to drain the blood or what was left. And Francesca wasn't as thin as Faustina had been, so there was a little layer of fat. Mm. So Leonata's thinking this is what was missing the first time. She needed that fat. To break down to make the soap. She continued on with the same process, body parts and caustic soda, baking sheets for the blood in the oven. And when she tried the tea cakes, there was a metallic taste, blood, Um, which she took though as meaning that the spell was working. That taste means the spell's working. Okay. So she gets excited and she goes to check the soap mixture with the dissolved body parts and it's mush again. Okay. So she's mad because she screwed it up again and she attempts to throw up a to throw up, to pick up a pot to throw it, and she burns her hands. And she sees that as a punishment for messing it up again. Okay. Well, since her hands are burnt and she can't lift the pots, she has to have Giuseppe do it when he gets home. So Giuseppe's the one that dumps them into the septic pit this time. If only he knew what he was dumping and why he was having to dump that, what she was up to. Yeah. So pretty soon, Leonardo found out that Giuseppe was planning on going to another town to meet up with his regime sooner and leave. Mm. So now she's really running out of time. Yeah. And she thinks she has time for one more try to make this work. But there had to be something wrong with the spell. Okay. <laughs> Obviously. This is why it wasn't working. She figured out, which this was about a month later, the first two victims weren't a sacrifice for her. She didn't really care about them. Right. Oh my god. However, she did care for a good friend, 53-year-old Virginia Cuchopo. Golly. Virginia Cuchopo. She used to be a singer 
Okay. And she performed in famous opera houses like La Scala in Milan. Hmm. I don't know what that is, but it sounds fancy. She was very well known, very well liked, and even the men listened when she talked. That's one of the points (laughs) the book made. Oh my gosh. Back then, that was a big deal. Apparently. Um, She had a similar background to Leonata. She came from money, but all Leonata did was make soap. So she sees her and she's like, you know, I could have had a fancier life. I could have had a higher social standing. You know, maybe if she had let her mother pick her husband instead of marrying Raphael. She was jealous. (laughs) Yeah. And to me, that's part of her motivation for picking her. Yeah. To quote unquote sacrifice. No, I don't doubt it. Yeah. It was kind of one of those things like she didn't want to like her, Mm -hmm. but she was really nice. She was a good person. Yeah. Um, She started out as any other customer, but they became good friends. You know, they had the similar background. They were both interested in the arts. Mm -hmm. She was creative. She sang. And she knew Virginia was the right one to sacrifice because not only was she important to society, she was important to her. Yeah. In other words, an equivalent exchange. Yeah. She'd mourn her after she brutally murdered her. Yeah. She'd miss her. Um, <laughs> so she felt like in order for the spell to work, she had to feel the guilt and the shame of what she was doing. <laughs> yeah. Virginia <laughs> told Leonata that she planned on leaving. You know, there's no work for her in this small town. And it's not like today where you can, you know, whatever is out there, you get a job. You have a certain skill. That's what you did your whole life. Yeah. So she tells her that she's going to leave to find work. But as of that time, she didn't have anything lined out. She didn't have a plan or nothing. So she asked, (laughs) mm -hmm, she asked Leonata for her help, for her guidance. That's when she knew how to lure her into her trap. She found her a job. Oh, yeah. But Virginia was really close with her brother and her sister-in-law. And I think she actually lived with them. Okay. Leonata knows that it's going to be hard for her to convince her to not tell them all the stuff that Leonata tells her. You know what I mean? Right. But she found a way around that. Mm-hmm. She told her that she found her a job, but it was on a need-to-know basis, and she couldn't tell anyone about it. Basically, just telling her that intrigued Virginia to where she would, like, press her to tell her more information. You know, I won't tell anybody. Just tell me. Yeah. I won't tell anybody. She eventually, eventually gets the details out. It's a secretarial job working for an impresario in a big city near Florence. Okay. And she'd have her own apartment there. She'd be attending fancy parties, meeting all these new people and networking and everything. And it was even related to the arts. (laughs) It was perfect. Yeah. And she said the impresario even expressed an interest in getting her back on the stage. Oh, wow. And apparently impresarios were known to be really private. So everything she was telling her made sense. Um, it good to be true. The book had another quote that I really liked. Ryan Green, man. Mm-hmm. It says, It was a trail of breadcrumbs leading Virginia further and further down the dark and winding forest path towards the gingerbread house of her dearest dreams and, more importantly, the oven contained within. My goodness. Yeah. The way he writes, I'm telling y'all. He's well, awesome. you know. Yeah. yeah he's awesome. <laughs> Um, so on September 30th in 1940, around midday, Virginia got two Leonatas. And normally she didn't wear her fancier things, but today she did. Okay. She got all dolled up in her furs and her nice jewels. Mm-mm. She was feeling herself. Yeah. She wanted to dress up. Um, Leonata offered her the wine and she refused it because it was too early. Oh. But she eventually gave in and she drank it. Mm-hmm. And when she was droggy enough... Droggy? That's what you said. Groggy. <laughs> I was going to say drowsy. Oh, yep. When she was groggy enough, 
Leonardo took her clothes and her money and got the axe. Mm-mm-mm. She drove it into her chest first, then severed her arms, so on, just like the others. And supposedly she cried while she did this one because it bothered her because she was her friend. Uh, anyway, same sequence of events. Pots, oven, tea cakes, whatever. Goodness. But when she was making the soap mixture, she added a little something extra. A bottle of Virginia's own perfume. Okay. <laughs> which to me is just really messed up on another level. Yeah. And I was like, oh, really? Her perfume. Anyways. Uh-huh. Um, and this time everything turned out just how Leonardo wanted. Perfect tasting tea cakes, perfect consistency and smell for the soap. And she knew that after that night, Giuseppe would be protected. That night was the night. So when he gets home, she suggested that he take a bath and try on his new uniform. Okay. New new uniform. (laughs) She bathed him. At this point, he was 18 or 19 years old. That's just weird. But according to her, she did this because she wanted to look him over, make sure that he was okay. And she wanted to make sure that he was completely and fully covered in this protection. Yeah. Soap. Human sacrifice soap. Which was super awkward. Yeah. After the bath, he was understandably very uncomfortable. And he wouldn't eat the tea Mm. cakes that she made. So she fed him the tea cakes herself. And after this, he wouldn't talk to her. He wouldn't even look at her. So she basically lost her son. But losing him that way was worth it if it meant that he was safe. That is so weird. And he was protected during the war. As far as what was left of the soap and tea cakes, to quote Leonata, After a long time on the boil, I was able to make some most acceptable creamy soap. I gave bars to neighbors and acquaintances. The tea cakes, too, were better. That woman was really sweet. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. She was so awesome. These bars of soap and tea cakes are wonderful. Yeah, just like, I don't even know what to say. So basically, she didn't think it would be a bad thing if other people were protected because of this bill. So she was sharing how nice of her. Also, it conveniently got rid of all of the evidence of what she did. So she goes on, all happy-go-lucky, because everything worked out perfectly. Nobody knew a thing about what she'd done. But things weren't going quite as smoothly as she expected. What happened? The letters worked for a while, but eventually the family and the loved ones didn't get another letter. Yeah. Which made them worry. And something didn't sit right with Virginia's sister-in-law. Okay. One of the main things was it didn't make sense to her why they would reach out to Virginia when they could have hired somebody within, you know, their inner circle that actually lived there. Yeah. You know what I mean? So she started investigating, asking around and everything, trying to figure out if anybody knew where she was and who she was hanging around before she left. Well, she talks to Leonata's neighbors and finds out that that's the last place she was seen. Mm-mm. People saw her go in. No one saw her come out. Mm-mm-mm. So she's like, well, I'm going over here to the authorities. Yeah. And her going to them raised suspicion about Faustina and Francesca going away so suddenly, too. Oh, wow. And they eventually find out that all three had visited Leonata around the time they went missing. So they brought her in for questioning. And she said she had advised them on their endeavors, whatever, but that's that's it. That's all she knew. Right. And they didn't have any evidence to search her house. So they turned to the one piece of evidence that they did have, the letters. Right. <laughs> I was like, what are they? <laughs> and they ultimately tracked down who had sent the letters, which was Giuseppe. Oh, man. So they bring him in for questioning. And at this time, they had enough to search the house and the shop. 
Okay. They found all three victims' belongings and their money. Well, they knew that Giuseppe was going to leave soon. So they think, well, he did this and his motive was to get that money to make a fresh start. But he couldn't tell them anything because he really did have no idea what she had done. He had mailed the letters as a favor to his mom. Yeah. But before anybody gets any ideas, he didn't have anything to do with it. Didn't seem like it anyway. Yeah. So their biggest question was, where are the bodies? They found clothes that belonged to the last two victims, Francesca and Virginia, and they knew that they didn't just leave naked. Yeah. So, while they were questioning Giuseppe, Leonata shows up and confessed. Oh. They didn't think much of it because they think, oh, this is just a mother trying to protect her son. You know what I mean? Which is probably true, but... I mean, yeah, she was. <laughs> but when she described the murders in detail, that's when they were like, okay, these are things only the killer would know. Right. Things they assumed only the killer would know. Just the details she gave. Yeah. Like, you wouldn't just come up with that stuff off your head. They believed that she was an accessory to the murders. Oh, my god! Still thinking that Giuseppe was the one that carried them out. Man. So, they asked her, where are the bodies? You know, if you're a part of this, as you say, as you claim to be the one that did it, where are the bodies? So, she describes her little process and her method to make them understand that they wouldn't find any bodies. So, they go back to Giuseppe, tell him her story. Oh, my gosh. And he's horrified because all of a sudden... That weird bath situation makes sense. Yeah. And he tells them everything. He tells them about her obsession with this alleged curse that her mom put on her, about the spell books, all that stuff. Leonata Chanchuli was arrested on March 3rd, 1941. Mm -mm. Word got out and the soap shop closed. Duh. Mm. Uh, Raphael developed a drinking problem, which led to heart problems. And he unfortunately passed away before the trial started. But another another source (laughs) said that his drinking started before all of that. And that she had kicked him out and he was never seen again. Oh. So one or the other. I'm not 100% sure. Okay. If there's two things that are completely different, I want to get both because I don't know. Um, The Ryan Green book said that he developed the drinking problem, passed away before the trial, so... Might be his speculation. Yeah. But Um, I feel like he does his research, too. He really does. (laughs) Um, Giuseppe, there was record of him being deployed, but the paper tell eventually ended. So, he either died during... Sorry, you said paper tail. I said paper tail. I'm pretty sure. The paper trail (laughs) eventually ended. So, he either died during the war or successfully changed his name and identity right under the military's nose. Without Hmm. them noticing. Bummer. I would think that he probably most likely died in work. Yeah. Her other children went into hiding. Most likely changed their name. All that stuff. Yeah. Um, Authorities still weren't convinced that she acted alone. They didn't think that she had the strength. According to not the Ryan Green book, but the other book that I read, uh, it said that Leonata, accompanied by doctors, police officers, judges, went to the morgue. Where she then dismembered a body, a dead body, into nine pieces in 12 minutes. What? To show them, like, I did this on my own. Giuseppe was not involved. Man. Come with me to the morgue and watch me hack up this body into nine pieces. Golly. 12 minutes. So, roughly six years passed before the trial started. Oh, Mainly because of the war. Okay. You know how it is with COVID now. How long it takes to do stuff. Just imagine a war. Yeah, true. While testifying, she described what she used all the pots and everything for. 
She's like, oh, I'll use that to put in there. And I'm, I put the blood in there and made the tea cakes and tea cakes and whatever. <laughs> um, she allegedly got some kind of sick pleasure from retelling how she committed the murders. Yeah. Like a lot of serial killers do. Yeah. They love hearing themselves talk. She enjoyed seeing the look on the faces of the victims' families. Um, and if that's true, then she liked the killing. It wasn't well, just because of yeah. this spell. She enjoyed it. Yeah, that's crazy. I mean, if you're acting that way with the victims' families and retelling your stories and stuff when you supposedly cried when you killed your friend, no, you enjoyed it. Yeah. Um, and she even told jokes. What? In court. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, what the heck, lady? A coroner testified that caustic soda couldn't dissolve a human body, and Leonardo was like, oh, yes, you can. Uh-huh. And she apparently told him, like, bring anybody in here, and I'll show you. Bring wow. your dead body in here, and I'll show you how to do it. Oh, my goodness. Which, caustic soda, I don't know a lot about it, but um, FBI, please don't flag me, because I looked up if you can dissolve a human body in caustic soda. Uh-huh. Um, apparently, if it's like 300 degrees or something like that, I'm not giving y'all tips to commit murder, but Joseph actually, at one point where he used to work, he worked with a lot of chemicals and stuff, mm-hmm. and he got like a splash of caustic soda on him, and he has a scar from it. Oh, wow. So, it can be done. I mean, like, if not, if where are they then? Where are the bodies if the caustic soda didn't dissolve them? Yeah, exactly. Like, they had the evidence to search, and they didn't find anything? I don't know. That's why. So, even though it took six years for the case to go to trial, it was over in three days. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Yeah, I don't think they needed much convincing. She was convicted and sentenced to 30 years in prison, followed by three years in a mental institution. (laughs) In one hand, prison. In Uh. the other hand, a mental asylum. It's weird, right? So that fortune teller was right. Yeah. Prison and an asylum. Um, This time she went to an actual women's prison. And there were better conditions there. And they actually had rules of how the inmates had to be treated. So she was better off here than she was when she had uh, served that time for her fraud charge at the reformatory. Mm -mm. She was popular there. You know, everyone had heard about her. She was infamous. And she got to work in the kitchen. (laughs) <laughs> they put her in the kitchen. Oh, and gosh. she, yeah, she would bake for the other inmates. She got together with them and gave them advice just like she did, you know, before she went to prison. And she ended up writing an autobiography called what? The Confessions of an Embittered Soul. And it was actually used as a reference for the Ryan Green book that I referenced for my research. Did you read the autobiography? No, I did not. Okay. Ryan Green did. Okay. And he used it as a reference. The only <laughs> one that I could find was not in English. So Okay, gotcha. I was wondering, I like, need to why stop would you not? cases that I can't read everything. Why would you not read that one? <laughs> well, I read two. Um, uh, she also included traditional Italian recipes in her autobiography, including the recipe for the tea cakes, minus the blood. No, thank you. And some chefs actually use this book today for the recipes in it. Uh, Ugh, I just, I couldn't. I, know, I don't think I could either. Ugh. I bet if some of the chef's customers who use this book knew that he, they used that book would be like, uh, I don't think I want to come here anymore. Yeah, which I mean, obviously they're not using anything other than the recipes. It's still Regular weird. ingredients. It's just, I don't know, it's, it's yeah, funky. I agree. Um, 20 years into her sentence, she suffered what seemed like a minor stroke, but she kept having all these symptoms from it, and then they realized that she had a brain bleed. Hmm. They could not figure out why she had this brain bleed, but... When they did figure it out, it turned out to be caustic soda vapor poisoning what? that burrowed holes into her brain. Oh my gosh. It ended up affecting her eyesight and it caused her seizures to come back. 
And when it was time for her to be transferred to the menstrual institution, <laughs> you catch that one? I did. <laughs> the mental institution. <laughs> she actually needed to be there because she needed the care wow. that she would get there. Like, that's how bad her health was. Um, tons of doctors studied her behavior, even like more recently, to try and figure out what was wrong with her because something obviously was off kilter. Yeah. Um, they agreed that her mother was most likely the root of the problem, mm-hmm. but they were nobody was ever able to make a clear diagnosis. Yeah. Um, on October 14th, 1970, the brain bleed caused a coma and she died the next day. Man. Her official cause of death was cerebral apoplexy. Okay. She was 76 years old and one year away from being released. Well, good. No offense. Yeah. If you want to see her pots and pans and baking sheets and axes that she used and stuff, you can go to the Criminology Museum in Rome where all that stuff is. Wow. Um, I want to end with a quote from the Not Ryan Green book that I read. Okay. <laughs> it says, Leonata Chanchuli's life story reads like a Greek tragedy and helps explain why, in the course of a few months, she transformed from a loving mother into a homicidal monster. Mm-hmm. And that, my dear friends, is the story of the soap maker of Correggio. I liked it. Yeah, I thought it was interesting. I'd read this book forever ago, and it's so good. I was like, ooh, I'm going to do that one. Anytime I can use a Ron Green book, I'm going to. Yeah, he's good. But, yeah, I will post pictures of her victims and her... And sources, I guess, for the links for the books. Yes. The books that I used for research, I will put in the show notes. As long as, I think there was one article that I read. As well as, you said as long as. As long as, they know. (laughs) It's been a day, okay? The last couple of days, having to like start from the very beginning again. Yep. I can't imagine. But if you have any case suggestions, thoughts, theories, corrections, do them nicely. You can Please. email them to relativelydarkpodcast at gmail.com. <laughs> uh, you can join our Facebook group. Yes. Follow us on Instagram. Yes. All under Relatively Dark Podcast. Yes. I think that's it. I do too. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for listening. Bye, guys. Goodbye. Goodbye.